Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today is Anthony Oliveira. He is an academic and pop culture writer whose stuff you can find on his Twitter account at Mea Koopa. That's M-E-A Koopa, as in uh, the bad guys from Mario. Anthony, welcome. <laughs> a little turtle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's such yes. a pleasure to finally like. By the way, congratulations of. on graduating. I, oh, thank you. Yes. Long, long, uh, long time coming. It took forever, but finally done. They, even well, when, they, <laughs> when they put me in the ground, I'll still be a doctor. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. I don't know anyone who has graduated with a doctoral degree who was like, yeah, that was over in like a, a year. That was super fast and easy. Yeah, they always take, they're like uh, a march through Ireland. It takes forever. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad <laughs> it's over with. Uh, and now God knows what comes next. <laughs> uh, I don't know what comes next. I do know what's going to come in the next hour, hour and a half, which is that you and I are going to tell people uh, things that we think they should do with their lives. Right. I'm the least qualified person to do this, so I'm super excited. This is going to be great. That is not true. You are enormously qualified <laughs> in as much as I like you and I think you're right about everything. Oh, well, so, back at you. All right. We're going to kill sense, this. You, you can feel it. Yeah, this is going to be great. You can tell this is going to be a really heated episode <laughs> where we really come at things from different angles and perspectives. Um, but before we start getting into specific advice, I wanted to give everyone a general piece of advice, uh, which is that I think walking out of a movie that you are not enjoying is one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself. Oh uh, I recently did it and I had such a good time, which is not to say, by the way, that you should go out of your way to see movies you think you will hate because that's just, you know, <laughs> wasting money. But Every once in a while, you know, you take a swing and you miss and you are finding yourself in the middle of a movie thinking, I have given this movie the fairest shake I can possibly give it. And I just wish I were anywhere else. Uh, and I just want you to know what did you that in case. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, so for me, it was the movie Three Billboards. And oh. uh, that's not to say that other people should walk out of that specific movie. I have no I'm totally agnostic when it comes to what movie you should walk out of. But if you're just having a lousy time. And you're like, man, it's been an hour. I'm just not enjoying myself. Uh, bail. See, this is the, I think what we need is an etiquette for the walkout. Because John Cleese has that really good rule about when you're allowed to bail on a book, where it's like mm -hmm. 100 Oops. pages minus your age. Because it's like, if you, as you get older, you have less time to waste on a book. I think that's a good rule. We need a similar rule, I think, for movies. Because some movies, they, they're slow burn, you know? Um, yeah, Absolutely. I liked I liked three billboards though. I kind of want to. <laughs> that's well, and that's the thing is, I'm not saying other people either shouldn't go see it or should walk out of it. Uh, but that was the choice that was right for me in that moment, and right. I'm very very glad that I did. What I is the, the pleasure fastest... of it? Is it like the the canceled plans pleasure? It's something like that. This is probably advice that will only be helpful to some people. If you are already the kind of person who's like, yeah, I, I feel enormously comfortable leaving a movie if I'm not enjoying myself. Why would you need to remind me that I should do that? What a silly thing <laughs> to suggest. Then that advice is not for you. But for some of us, I think we will think oh, I paid, you know, $14 or, or whatever for this. I should see it through. Uh, it would be weird if I left. Uh, you know, I, I owe this movie something. Do you and go for I the think, refund? Uh, <laughs> do you make that? No, play? no, not, you don't. 
No, no. I think a movie. <sighs> you commit. You make your purchase, but you are allowed to leave. That's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> My Catholic guilt is like overacted right now. <laughs> well, I come from a long, long line of Protestants, so oh. we never feel bad about anything. We just make decisions and right. then move. You're allowed to do um, things to the text that I'm not allowed to do. I think that's the <laughs> difference there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not in conversation with the text in right. the same way. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it can be great. I think sometimes I know people who feel like they can't stop reading a book once they've started or they can't walk out of a movie. Um, and every once in a while, it is great. I walked out of Birdman. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah. 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 I was like, you know what? I don't want to hear another hour and a half of a drum solo. Uh, I'm good. I think this needs Thanks, to be Michael a Keaton. gift I learned to give myself. I'm going to I'm going to try this new spiritual praxis. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to to do it every time. I mean, save it for special occasions. But if you are just miserable, (laughs) if you are just having the worst time and you don't think it's going to get better, you know, go go hang out in the lobby. I think I walked out of the Leighton Meester roommate movie. Was that what it was called? Where she was like a stalker? Interesting. Yeah, it was like a remake kind of of Single White Female. Oh, yes, that's what it was doing. I had to leave. It was it was too much. And it takes a lot to get me to leave a theater. I, I was going to say, and that kind of sounds right up your alley. It's late in Easter. It's a vague single white female remake. I mean, I sat through all of Swim fans, so my <laughs> tolerance for that kind of movie is pretty high. <laughs> That's, yeah, that one, I think I I couldn't have left that one. I'm a sucker for eye candy, so. Oh, oh my gosh, it's so good. Well, so now that everyone knows what kind of movies we have walked out of um, and can judge us accordingly, <laughs> by the way, I'm, I'm sure there are people listening right now who are like, you walked out of Birdman? I'm never going to yeah. take your advice ever. I really appreciate um, that the intro you've given me is like as a hater, just like <laughs> I am here to hate things. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this will absolutely be the theme of, of that episode. To that end, uh, with, with the spirit uh, of that conversation in mind, uh, I want to tackle our first letter, which I did not give you in advance. I, I saw this late in the mailbag. Curveball right away. Okay. I saw it and I was just like, obviously we have to. this this just like hits all the all the check boxes of like things that I love having an opinion about. <laughs> um just like rudeness, consideration for others, uh being in a relationship, not listening to somebody telling you their own experience. It, it, it's got it all. This letter has everything. Okay. Um the, the subject is breathing room. Dear Prudence. I'm 32 years old and was diagnosed with asthma when I was a small child. Mostly my asthma is well controlled, and it's been 10 years since it's caused an ER visit. I met my husband six years ago, and we've been married for three. He has a body spray that he rarely uses, think a few times a year. I can't be in the room or even enter the room after he has used the spray or I risk having breathing problems. I have asked him not to use it. He has tried to compromise by using it in the bathroom with the fan on or right before we leave the house. The last time he used it, I unknowingly walked into the bathroom immediately afterwards, and it took days for me to feel better. I have brought it up twice, which has just resulted in arguments. He claims that he thought I was done using the bathroom and wouldn't enter the room until we returned a few hours later when the fumes would have cleared. I want him to get rid of the spray. He thinks that is unnecessary. Am I being unreasonable? I am considering throwing the spray out myself. Oh, boy. Oh, gosh. Okay. Are you going do, first? Do we I? think the letter writer is being unreasonable? <laughs> I think anything that could result in I have been in the ER because of it is like that is on the table for discussion. I don't understand. I don't think you throw out the spray without telling him. I think that you 
you say like this is a poison that is in the house that can cause me to be hospitalized it shouldn't i don't understand why he wants it like what is it what is his end game here no and like of course my mind is going to it's probably a terrible body spray that i object to personally on an aesthetic level um i i am just giving him like the worst possible reading here yeah it's weird to me that saying hey, it took days for me to feel better resulted in an argument. Like, that's not something you argue about. Yeah. That's something where, at the very least, he would he would or should have said, I am so sorry. Um, that was on me for making an assumption about what rooms of the house you were going to use. I should have told you and or, at the very least, like, gone outside to apply it so I mean, that it would dissipate. This is so bizarre. I mean, even just the word body spray gives you so many clues as to like like it's not a cologne it's a body so it's like actively aerosol like he actually has other options for this like he can use like a he could use a beard oil like there's lots of other he could use a a roll-on that's from the same company like there's lots if he's worried about smelling or if he's worried about smelling nice at an event he has other options here also like if this is his partner there's no one who's going to be in tighter quarters with him that person should have like the deciding vote on what he smells like. That's, right. <laughs> that's part of how this works, yeah. right? Yeah, I-, I would say, letter writer, you have been fairly reasonable uh, in not even saying uh, like you've you've given him the freedom to use it. You're just asking for a very reasonable accommodation, um, and so I-, I think that the follow up conversation is just look if you're going to use this a couple of times a year. What I need from you is not to assume that you know what rooms in the house I'm going to use. I need you to let me know in advance. Uh, just going in the bathroom and turning the fan on doesn't cut it. That's insufficient ventilation. Right. Um, this is a health issue for me versus you have a number of options about putting on scented products. Um, so, you know, one of these really does trump the other. <laughs> yes, I don't um, think there's so- a compromise there isn't a compromise to make about like you can compromise about what TV shows you're going to watch or what you're going to have for dinner. You're not going to compromise about my ability to breathe. <laughs> like, I don't, right. <laughs> I like don't your lungs can't not react to this, whereas he can apply it elsewhere or find yeah. a different scent delivery system. Yeah. The problem um, here is that so. this is a straight man who doesn't know his other options. Like he can get a roll on. He can get a beard oil. Like he could just not try to be, kill his partner like this. <laughs> I mean, in in fairness, uh, we don't know the letter writer's gender. It is a little hard to imagine that, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I understand where that assumption is coming from. I think this might uh, be a theme as we proceed, because I had some trouble parsing the gender dynamics of a lot of today's letters. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that comes up and that can be really interesting. Um, but yeah, for this one, uh, you know, the conversation is, look, my my lungs can't rest on your assumptions. My dude. Yes. Uh, At the very least, um, even if it's only a couple of times a year, I I still have asthma all the time. Right. Like I. Yeah. Even though this is only a couple of times a year, that's not the end of the compromise. So when you apply it, um, it, you know, first of all, I I think you should look into something that is not aerosolized. If you absolutely must, um, you need to let me know before you do it and you need to do it, frankly, outside. Go to the garage you know, stand, you know, it's going to feel a little goofy, but like go in the backyard, uh, step outside, spritz it on, uh, let it dissipate. You need to make sure that it is somewhere that I'm not going to walk into. And you need to tell me. Um, I can't guess. uh, Don't make the assumption. You need to tell me. And if you can't do it, throw it away. I don't need Um, the like 
the night of a big event to also worry if I'm going to have an asthma attack, you know? Right. Yeah. And look at that. We're unanimous on the first one. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, it's kind of hard not to be right. Like, it's hard to read this and be like, well, you should just have different lungs. Like (laughs) only one of you can change here. And Uh, the one thing that does give me pause is the like, should I just throw it out? You should not just throw it out. I don't know what your end game is there either. Like eventually he's going to notice it's missing and the fight is going to be infinitely worse. So right. Because that doesn't address the real problem. I mean, I understand why you feel that way, but it wouldn't help. If I thought it would help, but he could just go out and buy some more. So the real issue is like he needs to grasp that this is about your health um, and that he needs to be like this is a you're you're not asking a lot. Like you're asking for a bare minimum level of consideration. It is breathing. I mean, not at all difficult to say hierarchy of needs. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And and all you're saying is, hey, I need you to tell me when you're going to put on your body spray. That's not hard. (laughs) He can do that. I have every faith in his ability to do that. All right, so we're getting started on a great note, uh, at least on our end. Um, We are united. Uh, Would you please be so good as to read the second question? Sure, yes. Um, All right. So the subject of this one is gender non-binary. Dear Prudence, I am a middle-aged mother of five children, all of whom are happy young adults. I am very proud of them all. My husband and I have a marriage that is based on shared work and shared responsibility. I live in a a state that has recently announced our driver's licenses will offer the option of being listed as male, female, or non-binary. I identify strongly with the struggles and fears that women face in our society, but I myself have always felt like an imposter. I wear my hair short, and I look more like a boy than a 58-year-old soon-to-be grandmother. My husband told me he would change with me as well, and uh, to have this be a continuation of our lives together— Two people who have lived our inner lives together while conforming to that our family, friends, country, etc. have asked of us. I have discussed this with the children and they are strongly feeling I have no right to do so. That these changes are meant to help young people who are struggling with their gender identity. And now no one will come to Thanksgiving unless I quote promise to get over this. Not change my driver's license and never speak of gender issues again. Are these legal changes for young persons? I was surprised my children feel so strongly. They are all self-identified, quote, social justice warriors. I worked hard as a mother to raise them to be accepting and never punish them for their own explorations or choices or commitments. Why are they so angry? Wow. What there is think? so much here. Yeah, it is uh, a dense. <laughs> well, I mean, in some ways, I don't find it a difficult problem, but what a what a thorny family dynamic. Um, do you want to go first or shall I? Oh, please. I, Go for it. <laughs> well, I feel like there's the two questions, right? One of them is, are these legal changes for young persons? And the, the other is, why are they so angry? And I think those have very different answers. Um, first of all, no, they're not, <laughs> they're not just for young people. I think that finding out who you are is what you're here to do as a person. And that can move at whatever, spa- at, at whatever speed it moves at. It sounds like this is something that uh, the letter writer and possibly her husband as well, or their husband as well, um, has been has known about for a lot. It's hard to see past the contours of the letter, but it sounds like something they've been dealing with for a long time. And now the sort of framework has been presented to them for articulating themselves, and they've found something that's like, oh, that's me. And to me, that's an amazing moment in someone's life to be able to see oneself, to understand oneself in a new and like more affirming way 
Um, and that can come at 58, that can come at 10, that can come at five. Like, this is not just for young people. It's not like a, you can learn to drive at any age, much less like figure out who you are. This isn't just something that you have to do when you're 16. Um, so that's, that's the first, the answer to the first question for me. Uh, the second one, why are they so angry? I think is a different question. Um, I don't, I mean, it's surprising that I'm saying this. I, because I'm such a, you know, queer supremacist, <laughs> but I think that, um, I think that they're so angry, even though they've been raised in such a progressive way, even though she's, she calls them social justice warriors. I think that it's one thing for a person to have these political beliefs. And it's quite another to suddenly be confronted with it in one's own life. And I think they're not actually angry. What they are is uh, in sort of a state of mourning, right? They they think they've lost a family member and now there's kind of a new Oh, I'm family very member. excited that we're going to disagree on this. Sorry, oh, okay. I didn't mean to interrupt okay. with you, but I'm, I'm jazzed. Keep going. <laughs> well, I just, I don't think, I don't know. I think that this, I think that... Um, What's happened here is that they've been taken by surprise and they don't know how to process this. Um, and I don't, I don't forgive them for taking it badly. I think that you have a better, you have to do a better job. You have to prepare for these moments in your life. Um, but I think that's what's happening, actually. I want to hear why you disagree. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like the kids are definitely angry. Um, I believe that they are angry. I, I don't think it's just, uh, I don't want to soften that. And I think that, that, Anger is not an appropriate response here. And I think this can often be the case, especially when it comes to issues of gender identity um, and exploring gender identity, right? I think a lot of times um, people who have maybe uh, never sort of questioned their own cisgender identity will will think, uh, you know, in a broad general sense, I support trans people, I support mm -hmm. non-binary people, I support genderqueer people. Um, and then when they are uh, confronted with the idea of a person in their own life who is uh, transitioning, coming out, contemplating, reassessing, reorganizing their relationship to their own gender identity. They will try to come up with reasons why this person um, doesn't have the right to do so or can't claim a label or can't claim an identity or can't right. spend time and energy figuring themselves out. Um, and I think that that is an unnecessary act of gatekeeping. So uh, I, I think for them to respond with, uh, this label is not for you. This identity is not for you, uh, especially in the sense of like, you're my parent. I know you better than you right. know yourself. Um, I have the, you know, there's that implicit sense, right, of like, as your presumably cis child, I, I know what a non-binary experience looks yes. like and you don't have it. And I have the right to tell you that you don't. And that's never okay. Yeah. I think that's um, also why this, the letter goes to um, the social justice warrior place. I think that must be how it's being articulated to them is that this person, these, these children are, are identifying themselves as like a gatekeeping force. Like they understand the converse. They're claiming to understand the conversation better in fact than their parent. Right. Um, right. Which I think and, is and I also think, one of the next steps has to be that, um, first of all, you make a space for your own self-articulation. If a person's not supporting you, then you don't need that person around until they're ready to support you. But I also think they need to find the tools themselves, they need to find their community themselves too, I think is important here. Like, I want them to have the resources to say, well, actually, no, this is, this is who I am and I don't need you to tell me who I am. Right. And, and I think... You know, 
if there is any sort of criteria for calling yourself, ironically or otherwise, uh, a social justice warrior or a person who is committed to the idea of social justice, um, if anyone tries to share with you that they are contemplating um, changing the gender marker on their driver's license to non-binary, sorry, non-binary, um, and, and your response is, I'm not going to spend the holidays with you unless you get over this. You are not, in fact, uh, being a very good warrior for social justice. Um, no. You are being an asshole. Um, the, the only criteria uh, for exploring a non-binary orienta- uh, sorry, not orientation identity uh, is saying, I want to explore this. That's it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's all that it takes. And um, I, I, I have to imagine there is a sense among your children, letter writer, of, no, you're my mom. I know you better than you know yourself. Um, whatever the real criteria for being non-binary is, you don't fit it based on my experience of you, and I have the right to withhold it from you. So I would just go ahead and say they are wrong. Um, they do not have the right to do that to you. Uh, and to say I won't spend the holidays with you unless you promise never to talk about gender issues again, man, that's messed up. What is that's with people really holding okay. holidays hostage like this? Like, <laughs> do people really have the sense that like a holiday is something that should be experienced in like idyllic quietude? Like, if my my family doesn't have a proper holiday unless we start crying at some point, like, sure, this is the time to have these discussions. Like, if you're going to progress as a family, you should be touching these like roots of things not just like having polite dinner like this is when to do it i don't know i came out on mother's right. day so <laughs> <laughs> oh man congratulations <laughs> it was messy uh, but that's what family is like you make a mess it is. and you fight and yeah. then you figure it out yeah and you often get to come out more than once and sometimes mm-hmm. you know initial responses are really painful and and not great and they can yeah. move in a different direction but yeah this is not great and and you should um uh, push back against this. Yeah, that's the, what I find quite um, sort of touching and heartbreaking about this letter is how tentative it is. It, um, this person, I think, needs, they're just starting and they need to find a way. Part of the excitement of the journey is figuring out a way to articulate yourself. And I do want, I want that for them. I want them to figure out, figure out these things and feel like they have someone to say these things to. I mean, being anything is social. Being anything is relational. You have to find a way to talk about yourself um, and I feel like they don't have that yet, except perhaps with their, it sounds like their partner. Um, right. Maybe also going and, through the same thing is the impression I get here. Right. Yeah. And I, I just, you know, I don't want to make any sort of um, declarative statements here because it's entirely possible that part of what your husband is is trying to say in this moment um, is something here rings true for me too. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how to articulate it. Or it may be that your husband feels comfortable in his gender identity and would like to um, change his gender marker on his license as an act of solidarity with you. Um, and boy, I, you're already getting enough from your kids of here's who should and shouldn't change their gender marker. Um, so <laughs> right. I, I will not try to say I know what your husband is trying to say or do, in part because I think often when someone is is struggling to reassess their gender identity, um, people can often start with a statement that is uh, a little uncertain or or a little uh, not necessarily sharing everything that's going on inside. So I, I, I don't want to say your husband is super cisgender and just wants to do this as an act of support. Right. Um, if that's the case, you know, if, if all he wants to do is support you in, in exploring your non-binary identity, um, I, I think there are better ways to do that than to change his own gender marker. I think that 
that should be um, something you do for yourself um, and that he, he does not have to do so in order to support and share in this journey with you. Uh, but I want to leave a lot of space for maybe he wants to consider some of these things. Maybe yeah. maybe there's thoughts and feelings he wants to explore there as well. And he should get to do that. I think part of what's really important uh, in this conversation that we're starting to have more of about gender identity um, is that there needs to be room for people to ask questions um, because I think sometimes yes. people will think the, the, again that gatekeeping of like okay if you want to come out and have this fully right. figured out thoroughly exhaustively researched sense of yourself you can do that but if you want to try something on or test the waters or ask yourself how does this feel you don't get to do that unless you can prove to you know the rest of us uh, that you have the right to do such a thing yeah and, and there's that, increasingly that, this that, sense that like you need a master's degree to have any sort of sense of your your like queerness. And I think that's wrong. We need to allow people to have uh, a space where they're not sure, where they're questioning, where they're undecided that we we're actually bad at theorizing as a society right now. And I feel like that's the weapon that these children have now turned against to their parent, where it's like, you don't understand and I understand and I have the words and you don't have the words. And that's always a power differential. Um, right. And I want them to sort of get some of that power back, but I also want them to sort of enjoy the the uncertainty, enjoy the 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 figuring it out is is part of the journey too. Yep. Yeah. And the last thing I just want to address again, not to um, not that you shouldn't say or think this, but I just want to remind you, letter writer, you say I wear my hair short and I look more like a boy than a fifty eight year old soon to be grandmother. Um, Regardless of how uh, other people read you, regardless of the length of your hair, regardless of your appearance, um, you know, if you experience yourself uh, in a non-binary sense, it's it, that that's the only criteria you need to explore this. So I, I don't want to say, oh, I definitely know why you said it. And it was because I look this way, I must be non-binary. I think you were trying to articulate yeah. some sort of internal lack of resolution about how you feel and how people respond to you. I I, I I don't want to make it sound like I think you believe yourself to be non-binary because you have short hair. I'm, right. I'm aware that that would be a reading in bad faith. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I styling just, is one thing, but they also say that um, I have always felt like an imposter. Um, right. That's the thing. Yeah. So that to me seems like if you, if you feel inauthentic, then, then that is something to address. That is the first and only really thing to address is what would be a more authentic way to live? And if the more authentic way to live is for you to check non-binary on that license, then by God, you check non-binary on that license. And if your kids can't deal with it, that's too bad. Like that's, yeah. what are you losing here? You, you, <laughs> you spent your that's life the raising these kids like and they still can't find a way to support you. That has to be something they figure out for themselves. Yeah, they can talk about it at a PFLAG meeting. They can go to therapy. They can work through it with their friends. They do not have to, that's not your problem if they're having a tough time. Um, and, and just so you know, letter writer, whatever journey you end up going on, whether or not you come to some understanding of yourself uh, as a gender non-conforming woman, whether you come to an understanding of yourself as non-binary or gender queer or on the trans spectrum, wherever it takes you, that's great. Um, the only goal here should be to know yourself better um, and to care for yourself well and to find something that's meaningful and useful to you. Um, so just know that you have a lot of freedom. You deserve the opportunity to talk about these things. You are not trying to take anything away from anybody else. You're not hurting anybody. Nobody else has to do anything. You know, like <laughs> it, just give yourself a lot of time and space to figure this out for yourself. Right. Um, I'm so sorry your kids are being ridiculous um 
and just feel really free to say, no, I do not promise to never talk about gender identity issues yeah. again. Uh, I do not promise to get over this. Um, I do not promise that I will never change my gender marker on my driver's license. And in fact, y- you guys have no right to ask that of me. Yeah. Um, and again, like find someone else to talk to about this too. I think that if this is something you're checking on a box, then it's something that can now move beyond you and your partner's relationship. You can find a community. I really think that's important. I think that's... Um, if if nothing else, hearing someone else talk about their own experience will give you a way to say, well, that sounds like me and that sounds not like me. And it gives you a right. way to figure out who you are that isn't sort of in the closed loop of just your immediate family. Yeah. And that's not an obligation, but you have the right to find community and to seek out other stories and narratives that you might identify with and that might be helpful uh, as you go on this process of, you know, figuring your stuff out. Good luck. So this next letter comes from a call I put out recently, which was I wanted to hear from people who were contemplating an open marriage, uh, not because something was horribly, horribly amiss (laughs) and they were hoping very much that it would fix their problems, but just because they thought it seemed like something that they would like to do. Um, Because it seems like that's the best reason to try an open relationship is because you think it sounds like a good idea for you. Um, And I feel like I generally hear from people who want to try it for other reasons. So the subject line of this letter is just opening a happy marriage. Dear Prudence, on the podcast, you recently complained that you never hear from otherwise happy couples that think open relationships sound like fun. Only people who are miserable and in unhappy marriages who think that opening the relationship might somehow help. So I decided to write in. My husband and I have been married for three years. We don't have any kids. And our relationship is great. We work really well as a team and we love each other a lot. We also think opening up the relationship could be fun, but haven't done it yet for fear of messing up what we have. It seems like it could open up a lot of opportunities for jealousy. We have the additional complication of both coming from conservative Christian backgrounds and getting married as young virgins. Neither of us are Christians anymore, and we've worked through a lot of the shame that our church has promoted around sex, but we've only ever been with each other. Additionally, I'm bisexual, but because of my church background and young marriage, I've never been with a woman. The pros would be having more sex with different people and the casual having the casual sex that neither of us experienced in college. We're only 25. The cons would be introducing potential conflict into our otherwise happy marriage. I'd be curious about what your thoughts are. We don't know anyone in a happy open relationship, so we don't have models of it being successful. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. I went first last time, so you got to go now. <laughs> you got it. Um, so congratulations uh, just on having a happy marriage and a For partner real. that you can talk about things like this with. I think that that's really lovely. Um, I, I can certainly start with a disclaimer that uh, I have never been in an open marriage. Um, so I am purely uh, a supportive stranger um, who can point you in the direction of some resources. Uh, but I, I have no personal expertise. Um, and I don't want to make it sound like, oh, I definitely know the way that it's going to be great. Because you're absolutely right. I think the the concerns and the goals that you have make a lot of sense. Um so you say that you don't know anyone in a happy open relationship. You have no models of what a successful open relationship would be. And I think that's probably the place to start, right? right. There's, there, mm-hmm. there's no rush. Um, you're, 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 it sounds like your main priority is to um, continue to prioritize your own marriage with one another. Uh, and I think that that's really good. I think that's a really good sign. Um, so I think your first step should not be let's find somebody for one or both of us to ask out or or try to hook up with, um, but to investigate more further, uh, to investigate further into what can it look like? Um, 
and the internet will be your friend. Books will be your friends. Um, you know, investigate different models. Uh, read different stories from various couples who have um, developed open relationships and kind of talk to each other about what sounds appealing about that. What sounds unpleasant? What sounds boring? What sounds painful? Um, just learn more before you dive into anything and talk extensively about, you know, um, how do we want to communicate when it comes to stuff like jealousy? Um, mm -hmm. What kind of things would be fun and what kind of things would be just not for us? Um, find your models. Uh, again, I, I think just Googling stuff like yeah. couples talking about open relationships. Uh, and I'm sure that, you know, if anybody wants to write in with particular like websites or, or stories or books that they've found helpful, please do. Um, but learn more before you try anything. Yeah, I think that's the that's the first step here. I I should also disclaim by saying I have also never been in an open relationship, um, and I also I I understand uh, particularly the letter writer's anxiety that because it's it's a <laughs> it's part of my personality matrix too that the jealousy that seems inherent to, <laughs> to this would would also be a, a a yellow flag at least for me. Um, but I should also say that I know actually quite a few people in very happy open relationships. Um, and I think that the first thing about an open relationship is that there's very many different models for what it can look like. Like it can look like, um, you occasionally invite someone else into your relationship. It can look like, um, you can all, you can both pursue, uh, different relationships as long as the other doesn't find out too many details. Like I know a lot of couples that are just sort of like a, you don't disclose and that's fine as long as they don't hear about it. It doesn't matter to them. Um, some people really want to talk about the people that they're seeing and they really want to get to know like what on the other person's adventure is like. Um, sometimes people have kinks that one partner is not into and they want to explore those kinks with somebody else. Um, I think that um, beyond looking into what kind of models are available to you, there has to be a very clear discussion about what exactly is and is not on the table. Um, because I do think that you can be okay with some things and then suddenly not okay with something else. And I think it needs to be clear that discussion needs to stay open and the communication has to be, um, very forthright about that sort of thing. I think, um, the other thing here is the, the, the concern the letter writer expresses that, well, what if, what if this actually damages the relationship? I think that also needs to be a discussion that you have is like, if, what if something does develop with somebody else? Is is your marriage something that you are um, committed to no matter what? Or what if in this sort of exploration of yourself, they're sort of talking about their um, limited experience, her own experience of never having been with a woman. What if something, you discover something about yourself and you discover somebody you like more, that you have more feelings with, someone you want to uh, explore more? You have to also have that discussion. Is is the marriage the 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 ultimate or is is this something that, in the case of something coming up, are you willing to then renegotiate the terms of your marriage? Right. I think a lot of times um, people can carry this idea of uh, a relationship is either monogamous or a free-for-all. Right. And if we are in an open relationship, it means that anyone and anything is kind of on the table and we don't really ever get to pause or stop. And like, man, if all that comes out of this process is the two of you spend a lot of time talking about an open relationship and then deciding not to do it, that is a good outcome. 
Like if you guys spend a lot of time researching, talking about your thoughts and feelings, and you just decide, gosh, there's just not a version of this where we feel like we could also prioritize and cherish each other, that is a great outcome. You learned more about one another and about yourselves, and you took care of each other. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you guys uh, try it for a little while and some things come up that you weren't anticipating and you say, you know what, we're going to hit the pause button and that ends up just being, you know, you decide we tried it and there wasn't a way that we could make it work. That's a good outcome, too. So please don't feel like you have to be like great at an open relationship or that it has to work for you forever without ever morphing or changing or having limits or rules or boundaries. Um, You can whatever it looks like for you is a good outcome. And yeah, it is also funny because as I'm saying this, I'm like, boy, am I temperamentally unsuited for an open relationship? (laughs) I'm so much the same. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's just not for me. It's it's. No interest. Uh, but I know lots um, of people but, who are very into it. And I mean, there's actually quite a thriving. There's there's apps like in the same way that there are apps like Grindr. There's apps. Um, one of them is, I think, called Fet Life, where it's just like couples post together. They post very clearly, like, what are they into? What are they not into? What are the terms? What kind of person are they looking for? I know people who are interested in like being a special guest star in a, in a marriage for a night or two and then going on their own way. Um, I think that also is an important dimension to remember here, especially in a couple that is as um, less experienced about this sort of thing as this one is, is that keep in mind there is a third person here and you have to also treat that person with respect and you have to be clear yes. with that person about what the terms are and what you are and are not willing to uh, put on the table here. Yeah, I think that's so crucial to address. Um, I think especially, uh, not that there's anything in in this letter that suggests that they're going to be like jerks, uh, but I think just one thing that like I've certainly encountered in my own life as a bisexual person is uh, the handful of times in my life that I've been on a dating app. Um, Just sometimes there are a lot of messages from couples, especially heterosexual couples, especially married couples that have a lot of, you know, legal protections, uh, Mm -hmm. social privilege, um, who can be really rude and aggressive and just assume, hey, you're a bisexual person. I bet you would love to sleep with the both of us. Um, And that's just not true. Like the fact that you would like to experience being with women is great. And you have the right to figure that out and to seek that out if that's what you're interested in. Um, But please bear in mind that um, other queer women bisexual, lesbian, queer, whatever, are not necessarily going to be into the idea of a threesome with you two or just dating you on the side while you're also married to a guy. Um, So I I think one thing you should definitely think about is um, seeking out uh, experience with other couples, people who are also in open relationships, um, people who are looking for very much what you are looking for, um, as opposed to going on a sort of standard um, dating site that's generally for single people looking for other single people and and trying to find somebody there who wants to uh, either date one or both of you or hook up with one or both of you. Um, and to just uh, be really polite um, and don't assume that every like that there are uh, that necessarily just because somebody else is a bisexual woman they are super into the idea of going out with you and your boyfriend because i think sometimes right i think sometimes couples that want to open stuff up make that assumption and it's rude right i think that yeah i think that the culture as much as it's nice that these apps have emerged and that we are 
more willing to discuss these things. There is kind of like an uberification of this like third party where it's like you have all these privileges and now you want to have another part-time person. <laughs> I think it's important to remember that that is a person that is um, not just a fetish object, but someone you can hurt. Um, and someone you do just by virtue of entering into however casual this relationship is, you do have ethical uh, obligations to that person and uh, emotional ones too. Like you can't just, you can't just treat somebody like an object unless that's exactly what they're into. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And, and to bear in mind, just because you two may be excited to explore an open relationship does not guarantee that the rest of the world will be as excited as you are. Yes. Um, and that that's fine, that that's not a problem, that that doesn't mean other people are are letting you down or that you guys are bad people or anything like that. It just means what you're looking for is very specific. Um, and if you don't, you know, if you strike out 20 times before you find another person or couple who is like, yeah, that sounds cool to me, um, that's not necessarily a problem. Uh, it might not be your favorite thing, but um, just like in any sort of dating, uh, knowing what you want is great and helpful and clarifying, and it does not guarantee that other people will necessarily want the same thing and that that is actually okay. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I would I would say that my last piece of advice on this would be probably just a good rule is to assume that for every new experience, you guys are going to have to have like a three to one ratio of talking to doing it. You know? <laughs> yes. And I think that also, I mean, part of this could be just you're enjoying the fantasy of it, right? Like that is also a possibility that, that maybe yeah. the talking is itself performing the fantasy. And it's like, that is also okay. If your marriage is perfectly happy and you just want to think about these things, that's fine. Like just, just like, again, as long as you're communicating very clearly about it, I think that it is risky. I do think that. I mean, as we said, like, I can't imagine doing it myself. Um, but that's constitutional. If if you're, especially two people like this. I mean, I also can't imagine sitting through Birdman again. But a lot of people really <laughs> liked Birdman. Like, my experience is not universal. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and as long as you are honest with yourself as much as you can be and as honest with your partner as you can be and as honest with this third person as you can be, go for it. Why not? Yeah. All right, I'm going to do one. I know we're spending a lot of time on this letter. I'm going to throw in one last thing. Um, don't feel like if jealousy comes up in a way that is painful and debilitating, that your job is to get over it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody experiences jealousy in different ways. But by and large, people who are in open relationships are not just like magically free from the condition of jealousy. That can happen to anybody. Um, and it can also be easy if you do get into being in an open relationship to save all the fun and exciting, sexy new energy for the people you are seeing outside of your uh, primary relationship and letting your primary relationship be just like, oh, this is the person I share the bills with and take out the trash in such a way that leads you to stop investing in them. So, you know, be be aware that that is something that might happen unless you are careful to um, make time for one another and to prioritize one another uh, in your own way. Um, and that also, if you get jealous in a way that doesn't feel sexy and fun, but in fact feels debilitating and painful, say it and ask for what you want. Like, don't feel like, oh, because we're trying an open relationship, it is now my job to be above jealousy and to never feel insecure or require reassurance mm -hmm. or to say, I, I am actually not okay with this. Um, pay attention to it. Because if the jealousy outweighs the fun, then that's a good reason not to be in an open relationship. Yep. And that's why I am not in an open relationship. <laughs> God, yeah. uh, I, I'm No, yeah. Oh, all right, let's, uh, let's skip ahead much. to the next one. I think we need to start yeah. fighting like actively. All right. Well, then that means that one of us is going to have to say 
something about cat stealing because once again i've been called upon (laughs) am i reading this one you are you are all right subject did i steal a cat (laughs) dear prudence so a month ago a pretty calico cat began to follow me around after i petted and fed her she was a skinny little thing and didn't have a collar i led her into my apartment to see how she got along with my other cat they got along splendidly i named her and took her to a vet for a checkup she wasn't microchipped and had been spayed and neutered Uh, but had been spayed and neutered. Um, No one had called the local rescue society missing a cat of her description. I paid to have her shots, chipped, and put a collar on her. I was moving in with my girlfriend at the same time, so I might not have been as diligent finding the old owners as I should, but I put it off as the cat didn't have any tags and there were no flyers in my neighborhood at that time. Now I have moved in with my girlfriend into a different neighborhood across town, but I still visit. Last time, I saw a lost pet flyer with a picture of my cat or close to it. Now I feel conflicted. My girlfriend says the cat is ours now, that she didn't have a collar or tags, and was being neglected. The cat has put on a healthy amount of weight since we got her and looks a lot better. My girlfriend says anyone who let their cat roam like that has to know they are playing the odds on their cat not coming home with cars, dogs, and the coyotes that come out at sunset. I still feel guilty, but I love my ca- my love my cat and I don't want to give her up. <laughs> uh, am I am I going first on this one? You you tell me. You 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 pick a side. Either you did steal a cat or you didn't, and I you will argue the other. You stole this cat. This is a <laughs> this is a stolen cat. That's my opinion. What's your take? You didn't steal a cat. Whoa. This is a, okay. I, I have to. We we decided we're going to fight on this. I I'm, this is <laughs> like right, being assigned sides in debate class. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I think, I think that the most telling statement in here is when um, the person says, "My girlfriend says anyone who lets their cat roam like that knows they are playing the odds of not coming home because of cars, dogs, and the coyotes." Like you have just allied yourself with the coyotes. <laughs> you are this force out there that has stolen this cat that has disappeared it from someone who loved it. Um, and I think that this. Uh, this question of like, well, was it being neglected or mistreated is secondary. You have taken someone's beloved pet, whether it was beloved or not, they want it back. Their posters are out. Uh, I think that the question of whether or not you should keep it is perhaps different than did you steal it, but you definitely stole it. Right. Yes, that is the important thing, right? Because two things. One is a car did not hit this cat, a dog did not attack this cat, and a coyote didn't come for the cat. (laughs) It it was a person who took it. So all of those things are red herrings, right? Like none of those things happened to the cat. You happened to the cat. Yes. Um, uh, And the other sort of question is, was the cat neglected or abused? Um, And the the open-ended part about that is we don't really know how long the cat was missing for. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's entirely possible that the cat went missing at a relatively healthy weight uh, and then within a week or two lost a couple of pounds because, you know, they went from being a mostly indoor cat that got fed a couple times a day to a cat that was trying to fend for itself for the first time. Right. Um, so it, it's not like a slam. You know, sometimes people will write in and they're like, my neighbor's cat is always wandering around, always miserable, clearly neglected. And this is a little more questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't, it, there's not like a smoking gun of like, yes, they 100% were terrible cat right. owners. Yeah. Um, so I would say that absent pretty strong evidence, someone was neglecting or abusing their pet. They did try to look for their cat, right? Like, yeah. And the fact like, that they didn't put up, I mean, this person also says that they 
They didn't do their due diligence. I don't know what quite what that means, but clearly you didn't try very hard to get this cat back to the person it belongs to. Uh, so, so you've you and now that the posters are up, a, a cat or one that looks close to it. I mean, this person is trying, whether they didn't do it on the timeline you expected or not, they're trying to find the cat that you definitely have now stolen, right? So um, now, again, I think the question of do you now return it is a different one. But I do think by any any metric, you have stolen this cat. Right. And that doesn't mean you're like a horrible person. It's not like you did nothing, right? Like you you did take the cat to the vet. You tried to see if it was microchipped. Um, I don't know how old the cat is, right? You say it was a skinny little thing. It's possible that this cat was young enough um, and indoors, like which is why, you know, she might not have had a collar yet. And they might have been planning on getting her microchipped when she was slightly bigger um, or getting a collar later. But at the time, we're like, this cat is indoors. The collar's not super important. And then one day, like someone left a window open and the cat jumped out and then got lost like there's you you just don't have the kind of certainty that would allow me to say yep that other person should not own this cat or they have forfeited their right to pet ownership due to clear neglect and abuse um and and the thing is you you know you didn't know before you tried it's not that you were just like hey free cat no big deal Uh Uh, you tried but (laughs) but now you have evidence that somebody out there is very sad about having lost their cat and they're trying to find it so Um, now what and i I think I think you should call. I think you should call and say, hey, uh, I, I, I believe I may have found your cat, um, you know, and, and, and let them know where and when you found the cat. Um, yeah. And you can you can certainly ask, like, uh, like, was this cat microchipped? It, it may be a different cat, right? They may be like, oh, yeah, our cat was microchipped. And you're like, oh, it's just a cat that kind of looks like <laughs> right, yours. Right. Best of luck. Different cat. <laughs> right. Um but yeah, I, I think you got a call. I think Would you got a call. call? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, frankly, if I found a cat that seems neglected, uh, I would want to have it taken like good care of. But I would not be like, oh, good, I want another cat. I've got one cat. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not want more cats. So I wouldn't be wrestling with the part about, oh, I really want to keep this cat. Right. Um, but if you but- did really want to keep this cat. I get it. You love the cat. Like, I feel for you. I don't think you're a jerk. But the the... question is not, do you love this cat? The question is, do you have sufficient reason to believe that a loving owner is sad at the loss of their cat? And I think the answer to that is yes. And that's that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, I think, yes, I do think part of me... As I was reading this was like, well, what are the demands of the ethics versus the demands of love here? <laughs> like, <laughs> are you allowed to violate your ethics if love is sufficient? And part of me is very uncertain. I think that ethically you must absolutely call. You have I feel to like return I have the cat you stole. on the show right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But part of me is like, well, Augustine says love and do what thou wilt. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that to the extent that your conscience will bother you, that is your own affair to decide. <laughs> but you stole this cat, just so we're clear. You stole it. <laughs> right. And like it doesn't mean you're a monster. I don't it's not like you snuck into someone's house and stole the cat. But like, right. yes, the cat you now know uh is not, you know, the owner has not forfeited their right to this cat. And yes. the fact that your girlfriend is like, well, they must have let this cat go outdoors without a collar. And again, you don't know that. Their cat may very well have run outside. Yeah. Uh, once when I was living in an apartment building, uh, my cat, who who's an indoors dude, um, 
got out uh, and he would sometimes like wander around the hall and then come back inside. And one afternoon he did not come back in and I looked for him for five days. Uh, I put up posters. I called local like rescue shelters. uh, And eventually one day I was walking around my hallways again looking for him and I heard him from inside one of my neighbors. Oh, no. And I knocked on the door and I said, I'm so sorry. I think that I've heard my cat. And the woman was like, oh, yeah, he wandered in here a couple of days ago and uh, she just sort of trailed off. Like (laughs) she had just 100 percent stolen your cat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And it was the thing you have to weigh the the fact the love you have for this cat against the potential suffering you are inflicting on another living human being who has lost their beloved friend, possibly. Maybe they are garbage. Maybe they did like neglect this cat. You have no way of determining that. That is, there is a Schrodinger's cat problem here too. Oh, (laughs) I can't believe it took this long for us to do that. (laughs) No, but I do think that, um, yes, I do think what is uh, kazooistry here is that you are trying to dismiss the ethical here. You have stolen a cat. There is no, you were the coyote. You have, you've taken this cat out of circulation. You were the coyote. This is, oh, ask a mystic. This is beautiful. You are not a bad person. You just, the, the thing in front of you, you have to do something that you don't want to do. Right. Um, and I feel for you. And you had better believe that I like just went into that lady's house and was like, uh, thanks for looking after my cat. I'll take it from here. <laughs> like I very weirdly did not say, you kind of stole my cat, ma'am. Um, right. Because I was, I was just, it was very confusing. Pets are fascinating confusing. because they're loved ones and their property, right? And there's no way to reconcile right. those two things. And well, both, that was the... both dimensions of that impinge in these sort of problems, right? Right. They need to have like a find your iPhone thing on microchips for cats. Yes. Um, where you can just press a button. Because he was, my cat, that's the crazy part, is, or the wild part, is is my cat uh, was microchipped and, and, and registered and had a collar with my phone number on the tag. Um like, nothing about him was difficult to track down. Also, I lived three doors away. Um, what was what was her end game like that? <laughs> I don't know that she had a plan. I uh, Like, I really don't know that she had a plan. I moved out of there shortly thereafter. Now I live in a bigger place, and he gets to uh, enjoy his old age where all he wants to do is sit directly on my neck. Right. Well, see, um, that's the thing. We need the technology either to absolutely find the cat or to absolutely be able to tell who the cat prefers, right? Like those are, that's what we need, really. All right. We need to move on. I okay. think is what we need to do, most importantly. So the next letter, the subject line is simply Tango. Dear Prudence, so I dated Steve for two months when he was in my city for a business consultation. It was hot, heavy, and utterly amazing. I've never had a relationship click as fast or as perfectly as it did with Steve. I know that my heart got way over my head, but if Steve had proposed, I would have said yes. I really wanted to make a go of a long-distance relationship, but things fizzled out after a few weeks once he went back to his hometown. When Steve stopped returning my calls and sending one-word texts, I got the message. It broke my heart, but it was nothing that time and haagen wouldn't fix. Then, Steve contacted me via social media. We chatted a couple of times, and it was like nothing had ever happened. He told me he was coming back to my city. I did some snooping and found his girlfriend's Instagram. Judging by the timeline of her pictures and the big diamond ring she's wearing, Steve has been with her since college. I feel like a fool, but I don't know what to do now. I don't know if I should confront Steve or contact his girlfriend to let her know the truth or just block him. 
I'm not sure how much my desire to tell is fury against Steve, which I have a lot of, and how much is empathy for his girlfriend. I know I wish someone would have told me. What is the right thing to do here? Oh, boy. (laughs) You go first, I think. I went first on the cat. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I mean, this one's always tough, right? Because I feel like there's the kind of like standard line of the best thing you can do is keep Steve out of your life. Um, This is none of your business and unlikely to result in anything good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then on the other hand, you would want to know. Um, and that that's not unimportant. Um, and then there's also that question of like, I can't parse my own um, motivations here because right. I'm really, really mad at him. And so I don't know if I'm trying to talk myself into doing something that I know will hurt him um, and trying to dress it up as something else. Um, so, you know, I think your instincts are pretty good in as much as they're not ooh, I should keep seeing Steve and hope he leaves her. Like, that's great. Congratulations on once you found out that he was in a relationship with somebody else, your, you know, first instinct is is wise and self-preserving. And it's this guy, I, I don't need to see him ever again. He's not the person I thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think if you just block him, that is an okay response. I think if you say, hey, uh, you are terrible at cheating on your girlfriend. Uh, it was super easy to figure out that you were in a long-term committed relationship. You are a jerk and then block him. That's also good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to contact her and say something along the lines of, I'm really sorry uh, to be the bearer of bad news, but I would want someone to tell me. Um, Steve and I were in a relationship for two months. I did not know that he was seeing somebody whatever you do with this information is up to you. But I know that if I were in your position, I would want to know best of luck and leave it at that. That is like, if that were me, I'd want to know. Yeah. So Uh, none of of those are wrong. None of those feel like, Oh boy, you're really misguided here. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm all, I'm all for like a first wives club, like revenge team up. Um, But but I think, uh, I think you have to trust Trust your doubt, you know? I think that the letter writer's uh, uncertainty about what their motives are is something that needs to be interrogated and I think is a clue mm. that... Because um, it is hard to see past the contours of the letter to to what extent Steve has misrepresented himself. Um, it's impossible to tell whether the fiancé knows. Like, it sounds like he was... Steve was in a different city for a long period of time. I mean, maybe this is the flip side of the first letter, the second letter about open relationships, right? Like maybe they, maybe they have an arrangement. Like maybe if he's in a city for a long time, she looks the other way. Um, I gotta say though, like there's this, cause you do hear that sometimes like, we don't know. It's kind of like maybe like the cat owner in the previous relationship, like (laughs) were they a good one or not? Like if Steve's approach to being in an open relationship is periodically, I leave town and start dating somebody without letting them know my situation. Uh He's not in an open, he's either in a terrible open relationship or he's totally not. Yeah. And I think that the clue here is the, the sense of betrayal, right? Like uh, the, the letter writer is clearly hurt which I guess means, but isn't actually clear, I guess means that he has somehow misrepresented himself, either whether a single or just like it just <laughs> never came up. Um, I think that you have, you do, I wouldn't want to just block him. Um, you can, it's it's a valid option, but I do think a certain amount of like, actually, I, I know you're in a relationship. I know there's a fiance and like a very small window in which he's allowed to explain himself is then opened no, up. No, nope, nope, <laughs> I'm gonna fight you on that. No, no, because here's the deal. Steve shows up. 
there's no mention of, by the way, I'm in a relationship. And so whatever, you know, direction our uh, interactions go, uh, I still have a primary relationship. And then instead of saying, hey, I don't want to date you long distance. I had a wonderful time, but it needs to end. Uh, he just gradually disappeared and then showed up a couple of months later oh, yeah, as if did. nothing had happened. Uh, this is not an honest guy. No, right? no, I'm not you suggesting. Trust him. Oh, but by saying like he explains himself, I don't mean like you open yourself up to date him again. Absolutely not. Like, oh no, he has I just mean I, you in some respect. But I, of I think course, that, I just like, wouldn't believe a thing he said to explain no. himself. If he but, said, "Yeah, we're in an open relationship," I'd be like, "You're lying." I think in I think what I would want to do is say, uh, "You deceived me, and you you're deceiving your fiance, and you have an obligation to tell her you've done this." Um, and I think that it is valid to then walk away because you don't know mm -hmm. what she knows. You don't know whether she wants to know if you told her, I could also see that being something. Um, but what, what gives me pause is the letter writer being uncertain whether the only reason they want to tell is out of the word they use is fury, right? Like, like if your desire is to simply exact revenge, I think that's different. If your desire is, if your, your genuine sense is that there is a person who is uh, su suffering unwittingly and would want to know, then maybe you should tell them I'm, but I think that, I think that there's a conversation that has to happen where Steve should be told to tell them first. I don't know. Yeah, no, I hear that. I think the reason that I am inclined to say, tell her, but then also bear in mind, like you may hear nothing or she may be angry with you and you uh -huh. should divorce yourself from any expectations of a positive outcome. Right. Um, it's not like you guys hooked up once. You yeah. guys had a relationship for two months where either directly or indirectly, he acted as though you two were seeing one another with the possibility of being in a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty big deal. Um, and I also think as good as it can be to double check ourselves when we act in anger and as important as it, as it can be to pause before we do something in anger, anger is also a really appropriate response to an act of violation or mm -hmm. deceit or betrayal. And sometimes, um, especially when one is talking about like advice or like being a sort of like really together person, I think we can sort of default to this idea that you should never do or say anything when you're angry because it's better never to be angry. Um, and it's not like you're doing this in the heat of the moment. It's not like you haven't given it thought. If you are angry as you tell her, not that you should be yelling at her, but if you're just like, hey, I'm also angry to yourself, that is appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, I, that is an understandable reaction to this guy's choices, which were hurtful and deceitful and right. dishonest. But, and, but um, what I don't think is in bounds is to inflict that anger onto this third party, right? Like this is oh, this sure. is a suffering that you're going to be visiting on this other person. And I think that that should be done in a way that is sensitive to that. I think that if you want to tell this other person, then you have to do it in a way that isn't going to, um, isn't an attempt to embarrass them. It isn't an attempt to turn them into a weapon against Steve, right? Right. Like it should be something that is like, um, hey, just so you know, I yeah. was, I've, I live in X city and, uh, I know this guy, Steve, we dated in my, in my experience, I, it's not really clear. It says hot and heavy, but also that they seem to have thought a, a proposal was on hand. So mm -hmm. whatever the extent of the relationship was, you articulate that, uh, I now see on, in, on, uh, social media that you exist, right. <laughs> and then you go from there. I think, I, I think it, yeah. it should be, you don't get. You get to be angry. You don't get to let your anger make someone into a weapon you turn on someone else.
Absolutely. And I think that's that's so helpful because, as you said, that, that helped me to clarify why I think it might actually be a good idea to contact her is to say, I only know that the two of you are together because recently he contacted me again. Right. He is trying to start something up with me again. And now that I know he is seeing you, I have no interest. Um, yes. Not that you would say that part, but um, it, it's only because I heard from him again that I looked you up yeah um, i think you're and, right yeah, that and, changes the dimensions entirely like the question of like well i cheated with this guy like i helped this guy cheat on, in his relationship and now it's over but you didn't know that is a very different question than i am now wittingly entering into it right right um, yeah i think you're right i think that's exactly yep. it yeah and so to just give her the bare like facts and then just to say i don't want to make assumptions about your relationship um but if I were in your position, I would want to know. Um, and and so, you know, be be kind. Don't go into too much detail. Don't talk a lot about your own feelings of betrayal because that's for you to work out with your friends or your yeah. therapist or, or others. That's not for her to have to worry about. Right. Um, yes. Just let her know the things that she should know about. Um, and then, you know, let go of the outcome. Right. And heads up, like that person might turn their anger on you. Right. Like that happens too. some people shoot the messenger. And, mm -hmm. and if she does that, just you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to respond. You don't have to justify yourself. Right. Um, if he's given her some other version of events in order to protect himself, um, you don't have to like go into a back and forth. Um, just say, all I wanted to do is make sure, you know, whatever you do with this information is up to you. Best of luck. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And good luck. I hope the next person you date uh, is not a big jerk who lies to you <laughs> about whether or not they're available. That sucks. Oh, all right. So okay. we are ending uh, on a slightly, slightly less fraught note. Would you please read our final letter? <laughs> sure. Uh, so this one's subject is boyfriend's nickname. Uh, Dear Prudence, about three years ago, I met my boyfriend at a writer's workshop at the school where I was getting my master's degree. He's a great guy and we're happy. The problem is a silly nickname my friends have given him in private that I haven't been able to shake. Here's what happened. At the workshop where we met, my future boyfriend asked permission to read a bit of erotic poetry to the group. I immediately texted some close friends and said, oh my god, this guy is going to read a poem about penises. Penis poem guy spread like wildfire in my group and quickly became what they refer to him as, despite the fact that I later, and here they say him, I don't know if it's him or them, uh, despite the fact that I later assured him, it was all in good taste and nothing like that ever happened again at the workshop. Some friends have dropped it, but I must admit my inability not to laugh has damped my, my perceived seriousness about the rest not using this name, uh, always in private. What at this point can I do? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, am I going first on this one? Please do. Okay. I, <laughs> I think that this letter um, is not good about recognizing the extent to which they are responsible for the situation. Um, I also don't... I, I have a lot of red flags about the letter writer um, taking responsibility to the extent to which they created this problem. And I don't really understand why it's a problem except in themselves. Um, the first thing that troubles me is like, if you're in a writer's workshop and someone says, would it be okay if I read this? The response is not to then text a group of strangers about this person, uh, which is already a betrayal of trust that you have now infinitely exacerbated by bringing that person into their lives. Like you made somebody in a vulnerable moment into an object of fun and have now permanently <laughs> exposed them as that object of fun and seem to be doing nothing to like ameliorate the situation. Like all this would take is a conversation where you say, hey, I shouldn't have done that. 
Can we not call him that? I don't understand how it's been three years and they're still calling him this. It's not a clever nickname. <laughs> I was going to say, I think the most astonishing part of this is, like, I, I, I can relate to um, gossiping or right. making fun of someone privately instead of saying something uh, when you are asked. Um, that's not a, a good quality in myself, but I find it relatable. What I cannot at all relate to is the idea that you still laugh at this three years later. It's not a three years funny joke. No, it's not a three day funny joke. Um, no, it's it's barely three hours funny. Like, um, like I, I'm just amazed to think of your friends being like, hey, remember three years ago when your boyfriend wrote erotic poetry? And you're like, yeah, that's hilarious. Still, like, <laughs> you guys are not funny. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's unkind. I don't want to get too unkind in response. But, like, I'm well, surprised I mean, that you are still cracking up at this. Yeah. And I think that uh, our sort of brusqueness about this is the fact that it's like, this is very low stakes. Like, it, the only problem here is that you are not addressing it. Like, why aren't you just saying, don't call him that? Like, <laughs> it wouldn't take much. The fact is that this person seems oddly still tickled by it, which I just find completely baffling. Um, and I'm not against dick jokes. I thought American Vandal was one of the greatest uh, TV shows ever written. It's um, not a funny but, dick joke. <laughs> no, it's not. It's literally just like this guy wrote a poem about genitals. And it's like, yeah, people do that sometimes. Maybe it wasn't a great poem. Maybe it's not your favorite thing about him, but... Uh, but he also yeah. like he was like workshopping it he also like asked permission before reading it which what kind of workshop is it where like this is the most out there thing somebody did right <laughs> like, Right. i feel like everybody who gets I, I i don't have a master's in writing workshops but like i feel like all of us had ri have written some pretty bad poetry about sex at some point probably like if you write poetry if you are a writer like you've probably written something kind of embarrassing and goofy yeah um, and like, it why do you, your friends shouldn't ago. even know it exists, which I, again, like it happens. You say something you shouldn't have said. You make a text you shouldn't have said. Um, you didn't know this person was going to become a major figure in your life. Like there's a degree to which um, certain boundaries were punctured, not with malice, but they were punctured. And now you have to kind of put the genie back in the box. And the simple way to do it is to say that, like, I shouldn't have texted that or just you don't even have to get into like some kind of self-flagellation. Just be like, hey, can we use his name? Like <laughs> They've known him for three years. <laughs> what is the problem here? Right. Right. Yeah. I, you, your problem has an easy solution, letter writer, which is like, get the giggles out of your system. You have had three years to laugh at the one joke like you're done. Yeah. It has run its course. Um, and just say, hey, guys, this is my fault. I, I have let this go on for way too long. This dude is my boyfriend. We are in a serious three-year relationship. I'm asking you to not call him penis poem guy. I will not do it either. Let's all knock it off. And that's... That's like, it. That is like a text. That is... It takes exactly as much problems to solve as it took to cause. Like, just like, hey, can we not anymore? The end. <laughs> There's a maturity problem and it's kind of the maturity problem is you, I think, is is basically yeah. it. And like, I I, I don't want to make it sound like I think you are like a horrible person. Letter I'm writer. sure you're lovely. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like there's the there's like I really relate to making a joke at somebody else's expense um, because you are more focused on getting a laugh than on treating somebody else um, kindly. Um, I've done that in my own life. I did that, especially like at college when I was a younger person, I would often think, what's the funniest thing I can say? Not 
what's a good and helpful and useful thing to say? Um, so <laughs> I, I get it. That's part of growing up and developing into a person is balancing a sense of humor with a sense of compassion and respecting other people's interiority. Um, that that I get. Um, I don't think you should like beat yourself up too much about that. But the three years is y- you got to demonstrate some growth. You got to stop. Um, yeah. And you got to, you know. it's If it's bothering you, then you, all you have to say is it's bothering me. That's it. Yeah. The problem seems to be that it's not bothering you to some, some part of you is not bothered. Some part of you is still laughing. And it's like, if it's, if it's, if it's a problem, just say, Hey, can we not? And that's the end of the, it should be the end of the discussion. I can't imagine a version where it's not. Yeah. And just take the lead. Just like simply, you know, name it and claim it. As some (laughs) evangelicals of my acquaintance used to like to say when we were growing up, Um, just, just say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. It was unkind. Uh, I don't want to do it anymore. You know, you don't have to either beat yourself up or find a way to retroactively justify it. You can just say, I shouldn't have done it. It wasn't kind. I don't want to do it anymore. And that's the appropriate response. And, you know, you will continue to grow and learn and become a kinder, more compassionate person. And that will be great. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, now I am thinking of all of the mean stuff that I said when I was in college that I thought was very funny um, and was not at all funny. It was just mean. Well, um, and happens. I would like to go lie down in a cave for the next seven hours because <laughs> I just all I'm going to be able to think about. And I was like, mean stuff I said 10 years ago. To, to, to move in the world is to have regrets, right? Like, that's just how it goes. <laughs> but this one, I think, is a pretty minor one. And it's like, really, it's just you made a, a cheap joke that that person ended up mattering in your life. It happens. It's it's very easy to address. Yeah. And and I'll just say my guess is, yeah, I, I think that you're right that the reason this is coming up is it may be that you are at a point in your life where you are trying to reassess your own relationship to making jokes um, because you are trying to figure out how do I how do I make jokes? How do I laugh? How do I have a sense of humor yeah. um, that I don't later feel really guilty about yeah. or or like I have hurt somebody. And again, I, I, I relate to that a lot. That's, that's a big part of becoming a person. I, um, I The things I regret most in my life are occasions where I could have been kind and I wasn't. And they don't go away. Like you have to think about them for a long, long time. And even when you've sought forgiveness for them, they... It is always, it is a worth building that check into yourself of, is this, is this a kind thing to do or isn't it is, um, because it, it's, <laughs> you can have to live with it for a long time, even when it's something stupid, even if it's something casual. Um, yeah. Yeah. Will this wake me up in seven years at <laughs> yeah. three in the morning and cause me to curl in on myself as I cringe thinking about <laughs> how funny I thought it was at the time and how bad I feel about it now? Exactly. Um, oh, well, on that note, thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to meet you properly. Next time we really have to have a knock knockdown drag out war, though, because I feel like we agreed way too much. I would love it. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling and our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash Dear Prudence to subscribe now. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Tops.